836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Before I forget, congratulations to the UWM men's basketball team. Um, this was a team that finished last in their conference. I think they were 4-14 and 14 in conference play, lost 21 games. It was, it's a rebuilding year. UWM, of course, went through the well-documented problems and issues with the coach and the athletic director. The former coach left. A lot of the players left. No expectations at all for the season. They are in a rebuilding thing. And they've gone into their conference tournament, and they've won, and they've won as the last seed. And they're playing tonight. And if they win, they make the big dance. Um, that is kind of a, a mind-blowing sort of situation. And, you know, I mean, the the team they're playing, they were the 10th seed. They're playing the 6th seed. All the, the top-seeded teams have already lost. So... I tell you, this is, you know, 6-2 and even. You, you you pick them, I mean, as to what's going to happen. But regardless, what a way to win. The, the other thing that's interesting is, of course, this is one of those situations where you have a team that comes out of nowhere in the conference tournament and does well. And, of course, if UWM wins, they get the automatic bid. Uh, there, there's other teams maybe that have much better records that might go in as at-large teams. And they're probably sitting there saying, my gosh, this UWM team, if they win – um, or the Northern Kentucky team they're going to be playing. They're going to be taking a spot that we should have gotten. But it's a great story, regardless of what happens this evening. It's a great way to end the basketball season. And kudos to the UWM men's basketball team. Go Panthers. All right. There are a lot of big stories today, and I promise that we will cover them all at some point in time over the course of the next you know, several hours. Obamacare, should it really be replaced? The, the newly instituted, reinstituted Trump travel ban, we're going to talk about that. He's not backing off his claims that he was wiretapped, despite the fact that there doesn't appear to be any evidence at all suggesting that. More anti-Semitic threats being launched, and some people are again saying this is this is all directly due to the rise of Donald Trump. We're going to talk about all of that stuff, plus a lot more. We start off the program with our three big things. These are things that I think you need to know about to, to talk about at the water cooler or the coffee closet or at lunch or during the uh, during the workday. And I try to mix them up, sometimes national, sometimes local, sometimes state. Story number one, casinos in Wisconsin. I firmly believe that if you look back at the Jim Doyle legacy, one of one of the worst things that the Doyle administration did was the various gambling compacts that it cut with Indian tribes, giving Indian tribes the exclusive right to gaming in Wisconsin. But even among the Indian tribes, there were winners and there were losers. A couple of the tribes were the big winners. The Ho-Chunk, who have a principal casino, of course, um, you know, outside of Madison, the Wisconsin Dells area. The Potawatomi, who have their huge casino down in Milwaukee, and the Oneida, who have their huge casino in, in Green Bay. Th- those are the three big tribes, the, the big winners. Other tribes, of course, had the rights to open up gaming casinos, but they are much, much smaller. And so what is really, among the Indian tribes, what's created, there, there's really, you've got that big three, and then you've got everybody else. All right, here is an issue that is playing out well, today, because a tribe, the way it works under compacts is that, you know, every year 
compact the tribe, if you run a gambling casino, you have to pay a percentage of your revenue. You have to pay an amount to the state, you know, in exchange for the right to do it under the agreement. Well, what's happening is the the Stockbridge Muncie tribe is now saying they are going to withhold nearly a one million dollar payment to the state. Here's what happens. Stockbridge Muncie has a small casino outside of Wausau, kind of in the in the bowler area. The Ho Chunk, which is of course one of the, the big players, they've got the big casino outside of the Wisconsin Dells. Under their agreement, they have the right to run the big casino and they also have the right to run certain ancillary gambling facilities. These ancillary gambling facilities are really it's like it's if you it's like a convenience store you have a convenience store you have a gas station you can put slot machines in there that that's that's what the ancillary facilities are well what the ho chunk want to do is they've got an ancillary facility convenience store gas station things like that and they want to turn it into what is essentially another full-blown casino. They want to put in a ton more slot machines. They want to put in, um, again, table games and things like that. They also want to add a hotel to this like gas station, convenience store, whatever. Well, the problem is, at least the problem the way the other tribe has it, is that where the Ho-Chunk has this what is now kind of a little ancillary facility where they want to build a hotel and expand all this, it's between where the Stockbridge Muncie's little casino is and Wausau. And one of the first rules of gambling is you almost never drive past one casino to get to another one. So the Stockbridge Muncie tribe is saying if you, if, if the Ho-Chunk are allowed to go ahead and do this, it is going to just destroy us. It said we, we're going to lose about 37% of our revenue. Um, you know, it's going to cost us $22 million. This is going to destroy, uh, essentially, our, our gaming industry because they're going to siphon all this off, and it's illegal. They shouldn't be able to turn this small ancillary facility into a full-blown hotel. And the way it stands right now is the state has said, no, under the deal that Jim Doyle cut, they have the right to do that. that that's just what the deal is. And so now the smaller tribe is saying, okay, we're going to withhold our $1 million. That's the only way we have of trying to gain some leverage. Right? This, to me, raises the larger question about whether or not the gambling market in Wisconsin is saturated. Do we need more casinos? Do we need tribes expanding in this fashion? Is there more demand for gambling, or are we simply cannibalizing the existing business that's there? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Right? We've already said no to you know efforts that the Menominee Tribe had to try to buy Dairyland Park and turn that into a casino. We said, oh, we can't do that because you know Potawatomi has exclusive rights to this area, so you can't do that. Now you have another one of the big players, one of the big tribes that wants what I think is probably a pretty significant expansion of gaming that is going to come arguably at the expense of some of the little tribes. Do we need more facilities like this in Wisconsin? 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story number one, casino expansion in the state. Good idea, bad idea. Is this just competition, or is it time to say enough is enough? This is not what was ever intended to allow, I don't know, these tribes to take convenience stations and gas stations and now turn them into hotels and gambling destinations. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. The Ho-Chunk Tribe, which is one of the big casino operators in the state, they want to turn a small ancillary facility in central Wisconsin, like a like gas station, convenience store that's got some slot machines. They want to build a hotel. They want to add hundreds of table games and slot machines. And one of the little tribes that is between Wausau and where this place is going to be is saying that you can't do this. This is going to destroy us. Right now, the state is, is siding with Ho-Chunk, saying that this is what the agreement lets them do. There's nothing we can do to stop it. My question is, do we have enough gambling in the state? Do we really need more full-blown casinos? Ron and Wauwatosa. Ron, good morning. Yes, sir. What do you think? I think, just like fast food restaurants, I think, look at them. They're all across the street from each other. We need more casinos and more competition. Look at uh, Dairyland. Mm-hmm. Potawatomi didn't want Dairyland in there. Why? They didn't want the competition. Exactly. So that's that's my answer, and I'll let you go. There's probably other people. Okay, well, th- well see, I guess my, my, my question, though, Ron, would be, all right, is this really going to lead to more competition? I'm a free market guy, and, and I, I believe in competition. But let's take a situation where you have one of the, and, and I don't want to say it's a have-not tribe, but it's one of the small tribes that runs a small casino on their, their property. And then you have one of the big players, like the Ho-Chunks, that decide, okay, we, you know, we've already got this huge casino in Wisconsin Dells. We're rolling in the dough. Okay. We're one of the big winners when it comes to casino gaming. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this little small facility we have that's between Wausau and where the Stockbridge Muncie tribe is. And we're going to turn this little small convenience store slash thing. We're going to turn this into a full blown casino. Is that really going to generate more competition or is more likely what that's going to do is just run the other tribe out of, of business because they're really not going to be able to compete. And you're also, again, the, unlike, unlike fast food restaurants where you know people drive around. I mean, okay, some days I might feel like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Some days I feel like Arby's. Some days I feel like McDonald's. You know, and you can compete on those things. Again, you know, gambling is pretty much gambling. And the general rule of casinos is you, you typically, like I say, you don't drive past one to go to another. And that's what the Stockbridge Muncie folks are saying. They're saying, hey, look, we don't, we don't mind. If they want to have a convenience store with some slot machines and stuff like that, these are ancillary casinos. We, we get that, but that's not what they're doing. They are turning this ancillary casino. They're going to build a $33 million hotel complex. You know, they're, they're going to just destroy this. Now, Again, the state says there's not much, too much we can do because, well, our hands are tied. Ted in Oak Creek. Ted, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. One of the things that I, I would like to add to the discussion, um, because it's often overlooked, and that is that 
the rights to begin with of Native American tribes to have gambling casinos um, emanates from treaties. And those treaties only exist at the pleasure of the president. At any point in time, the president of the United States has the authority to say the treaties are no more. And maybe it's time that the president take a look at and say, do these treaties still make sense today? And maybe it's time to readjust, especially given what's occurred with respect to the pipeline in North Dakota and um, the activities here in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, it'd be the, an interesting. It is. It'd it, be an it, interesting discussion. Yeah, you know, um, you know, back, back when I first started in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I, I handled all the felony prosecutions off of the Menominee Indian Reservation, and it was, you know, the, the whole area of of what we would call Indian law and Native American law and, and rights is it's just a fascinating thing. And I quickly get over my head when you start talking about the treaties and things like that. I, I will say this, um, and as I said at the start, a, a lot of the – for people who are upset with Governor Walker, for example, because, you know, you don't have the Menominee allowed to open, you know, a, a, a open a, a, a casino down at Dairyland Park and all that type of thing, um, it, it, as, as much as you want to blame Governor Walker – a lot of it, most of it, in my opinion, it comes back to some really bad deals that Jim Doyle cut that we are going to be dealing with as long as those compacts are there. Now, I sympathize with Stockbridge Muncie. I, I do, because I think if this facility does go up, it is probably going to decimate their business. Unfortunately, I think the agreement they cut allows for a couple of the tribes to be the haves and most of the other tribes to be the have-nots, and that is just the reality. It's 852 Big thing number two coming up. Should he have been charged in the first place? Stick around. 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two. Should he have been charged? During the, the Sherman Park riots in August, you will remember that a lot of them centered around this BP gas station on the corner of Burleigh and Sherman Boulevard. The BP gas station was looted. It was burned down. That had been the site of other things, other problems in the past. June 29th, this is before the burning, several dozen young people hurled rocks and bottles outside the, the, outside the station, threatened employees. So it was a difficult place to work. This is before the arson um, occurred. So June 29th, you have this major disturbance that goes on, but it was an ongoing source of problems. What happened in July, July 19th, station closes at 10 o'clock, convenience store, you have a large group of young people. Now, this is after rock throwing and stuff like that earlier. Um, July 29th, you have a large group of people that bum rush the store, force their way in at closing time, and prevent the employees from being able to close the door. So what happens is one of the guys, 35-year-old man who is an employee, Seeing all this stuff happening, seeing that the door they can't close the door, there's these kids that have bum-rushed it, what he does is he goes outside the, the door. He goes out through another door. He takes, he has a gun, and he fires the gun up in the air in an effort to disperse the vandals, the disruptors who are have bum-rushed the store. So... He goes out another door, he fires a gun in the air, and the crowd does, in fact, disperse. The district attorney's office charges him with a crime, disorderly conduct, use of a dangerous weapon for shooting the gun in the air to try to 
save his employees and disperse a fellow employees and disperse the crowd. Monday, the DA's office reduces the charge, drops it down to disorderly conduct, and the guy is fined two hundred and fifty dollars for shooting the gun in the air during this scene of chaos. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is, is my question. Should the man have been charged in the first place? Like I say, he gets charged with disorderly conduct, use of a dangerous weapon. They, they plead it down, so he pays a $250 fine and then is put on some form of probation. But the circumstances, you're in this building, which was subsequently burned down by vandals. It has been that you and other employees have been the target of a mob for at least the last several weeks. You're trying to close the store. There's apparently no police presence there to help you out. You have a large group of unruly young people who have stormed into the store. So a guy grabs a gun and shoots it in the air in an effort to disperse the crowd. Did that deserve criminal charges in the first place? 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss right after the news. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 859-908-620-WTMJ. We're right in the middle of big three big things. Big thing number two, the, the, the BP gas station in Sherman Park or outside of Sherman Park that was burned down with arson in an arson situation during the Sherman Park riots in August had been the source of a number of problems. In June, there had been widespread vandalism at the place. July, mid-July, right as the store is closing, a bunch, a large group of unruly young people bum-rush the door, force their way into the store. Employees are trying to close the door. They, They can't. Now, this is, again, this place has a history. One of the employees grabs a gun, has a gun at the store, goes out another door, fires a couple shots into the air, to disperse the crowd. John Chisholm's district attorney's office does not, to my knowledge, charge anybody in the crowd, does not charge any of the mob, but charges the 35-year-old guy who, in an effort to try to scare off people to protect the store and protect the other employees, fires the gun into the air. At first, they charged him with disorderly conduct, use of a dangerous weapon, then they pretty much pled it away. Um, on Monday, he pled guilty to an amended charge, which means they plead it down, disorderly conduct, and he was fined $250. 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this like this. Why bother? I mean, seriously, is this where the Milwaukee County resources are going to be spent? If you really believe that this guy committed a serious crime, well, all right, then then you go ahead with the serious charges. But to charge this thing and then in an effort to save face, to plead it down to next to nothing, is, is to me just almost insulting. This is a case where you should have used, in my opinion, prosecutorial discretion. There shouldn't have been any charges brought against this man in the first place. On our text line, let's see, Catherine writes, the guy shouldn't have been charged. He was protecting property, and I would add he was protecting his fellow workers, but he should have called police to handle the crowd before he took the law into his own hands. Well, that's true to an extent, but the police couldn't protect him. I mean, the police were not able to stop what had been going on in this store before and afterwards. Um, let's see, another one. I see it no different as to what protections the Castle Doctrine gives you for a private residence. He needs to protect the life and his employees. 
Carol in Menominee Falls writes, do not charge the employee at all. Make sure identifiable members of the crowd are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Yeah, I, I say yes to all these different things. This was, in my opinion, a poor exercise of prosecutorial discretion to begin with. I think Chisholm was trying to appease certain members of the mob. My By mob, I don't mean mafia. I mean the mob, the vandals, the destructive community. My big question would be, why weren't the people that were bum-rushing the store? Why weren't those people charged en masse with doing that, as opposed to the guy who, working in a place where you have a history of this type of stuff, and by the way, a month later, the place gets burned down in an arson during the Sherman Park riots. This is the person that you're going to single out and charge? Really? Barry in Brookfield. Barry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, people wonder why Milwaukee's such a mess, and this is exactly it. You have a, a government system that is completely broken down where the, you know, the prosecutor is prosecuting the wrong people. Um, you know, I don't think the police feel like they're supported by the leadership, either their chief or the mayor. And so, you know, what are they going to do? It's just a revolving door. These hoodlums that come in cause yeah. trouble. And they, they, they don't do anything about it anyway. So they're they're not they're not gonna risk their own career to, to get involved. So. Well you know you know, Barry, I'm trying to put myself in the picture if I was working in this convenience store, okay, knowing the history, okay, the place has been vandalized, you've had the mob that have been throwing things before, it's closing time, the store gets bum rushed, they're not allowing the employees to close the store, it looks like it's gonna get worse. You're fear, afraid for your life. You're afraid for the lives of your co-workers. Yeah, okay, should he have fired the shots into the air? Probably not. But at the same time, I mean, who is the real victim here? To me, it's the store owner and those employees, not the mob. Right, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's certainly not a good thing to be shooting a right. fire in town, but, um, you know, what are you going to do, wait for the police? I mean, we have, the sheriff of Milwaukee County is saying on the radio, we can't yeah. come help you out. Right, right, I- exactly. And you've got this emerging situation. You know, what, was he was he technically wrong? Yes. Did he technically violate the law? Yes. Thanks for call. But but I mean, really. And and here's the the bigger point of this whole thing. It, it if you really felt it was a crime, and this tells you that the the this tells you the motivation of the district attorney in this case. If you really felt that this was something that was actionable, then don't give the case away. I mean, they, this what happened on Monday, the plea down, was a way of the district attorney's office saving face. We're going to issue this charge, and it's a more serious charge, and then we're going to kick it down and find the guy $250 so we can say that we ended up getting a conviction. Well, all right, wh- why bother then? I mean, if you don't feel it is significant enough behavior to really, you know, stick with your, your guns, no pun intended, and, and really prosecute the guy for the crime you believe he committed, why bother bringing the charge in the first place if it's not small-p political type of stuff, again, to, to appease those elements in the community that, oh, the guy's fired a gun in the air. Well, okay, concentrate on the reason why he fired the gun in the air, because his life was being threatened, employees' lives were being threatened. You had a mob that was bum-rushing the business. Figure out who the bad guys are, for God's sake, and go after them. Coming up, big thing number three, Republicans finally unveil their plan to replace Obamacare. We will discuss. 914, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
It's 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Bucks come home to the BMO Harris Bradley Center tomorrow. They welcome Derek Rose in the New York Knicks to Milwaukee. Our Bucks game night coverage starts with Buck Shots, 640 tomorrow night. Big thing number three, House Republicans unveil their plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. Now, there, I do not believe there is a precedent in American history for a major, once you have a major entitlement program, for that program to be eliminated. So that's, that's the uphill battle that Republicans are, are facing. The plan, and there's a lot of details to it, and there's a lot of different aspects of it, but, but essentially what it would do is it would scrap the requirement that people have to have insurance. It would eliminate tax penalties for those who go without it would um, eliminate the requirement for large employees to offer coverage to their full-time employees and so it would require it would eliminate a lot of those mandates it would keep the requirement that people with pre-existing conditions could not be denied coverage and that's always been one of the big sticking points what happens to somebody who's been insured You've had health insurance for 25 years, never been sick a day in your life. You lose your job, and then three months later, um, after you you lose your job and, and you're, you're going to lose your health insurance, three months later, you get a diagnosis of a terminal disease. You're looking at a million dollars in medical payments uh, for cancer treatment over the course of a year, and you don't have insurance because you, you've been responsible, but you've lost your job through no fault of your own. This would preserve pre- coverage for pre-existing conditions. What this does, however, is, is it puts, it puts a penalty on people who let their insurance coverage lapse. If, if you let your insurance lapse, insurers could increase their premiums by up to 30%. So, um, there's not going to be a penalty for not getting insurance, but there is going to be a penalty if you let your coverage, um, lapse. The, also, uh, young people could stay on their parents' insurance until they were 26. That provision would 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 stay. And what they are essentially doing is they're they're undoing parts of Obamacare, including income-based tax credits that help the people buy insurance as well. So there's devil is in the details, and there's going to be a lot of people who are already screaming, well. You know, 20 million people got insurance under Obamacare, and now some of them are going to lose that. But Republicans argue that by doing this, what you'll be able to do is reduce the overall cost. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about the big picture aspect of this. Does Obamacare need to be replaced? We have, like I say, I don't think there is any precedent in in American history for once you have a a major social service, social welfare program that's instituted, I don't know that there's any precedent at all for eliminating that. I mean, mean, anytime there's even a discussion of trying to modify Social Security, you you have this huge uproar, this this is taking on Obamacare, a major social entitlement program. Does it need to be changed? Or since it's been around for six or seven years, is it just part of the culture 
and that we need to figure out a way to deal with it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Hondo is lining up the calls. We are back to discuss, do you want to see Obamacare go away and be replaced, or should we just let the system go as is? 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's insulted the FBI veterans and women, just to name a few, and he tweets to his followers at 3 a.m. Is there anything President Donald Trump could say that finally goes too far? Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt give their take, 1235. Joe and McGuanago. Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, the, the idea is to replace Obamacare with this different sort of system. Does Obamacare need to go? Yes. Okay, tell me why. Well, just my personal situation. In 2013, I had to buy uh, private health insurance uh, as I am self-employed. Right. Um, at that time, I was able to purchase an affordable policy for about... $300 for myself a month, for myself and my daughter, and we had multiple choices. Right. Additionally, I could purchase insurance for her across state lines as she was out of state right. for college right. if I needed a stuff. I can't do that anymore. So my insurance premiums have more than doubled for both of us. Uh, I cannot buy her a policy that covers her outside of her college state. I'm not covered except for emergency care outside of state of Wisconsin, and I have, within my budget, I have maybe two choices. Right. My guess, so, is, my, my guess, I, my guess, Joe, is, my guess, Joe, also, is that because of your income, you probably don't qualify for any of the government assistance to help you buy the policies, right? So it's all coming out of your pocket? That is true, and I also want to state that, um, the HSA qualified policies where one contributes as a responsible human being to their own well-being by putting money aside in a health savings account are actually more expensive than the ones that do not qualify. Huh. Huh. So, yeah, it needs to go. And here, I mean, here's, here's sort of what Joe, here, here's exactly what Joe is talking about. Before Obamacare, she is a responsible person who wanted to go out and get her insurance. What she could do is she could shop different companies, make make a choice, and then you know go with the policy that was was best. You know, now under Obamacare, you essentially there's there's really not there's not a private insurance market anymore like like there was before. Now you've got the Obamacare exchanges. So she gets on to one of the exchanges where you have a lot of people who've now come onto the exchanges, many of whom have health problems, whatever. And so the rates have gone up. The number of doctors that are available in many cases have gone down dramatically. The coverage probably isn't as good and there's nowhere else that she can go. So she doesn't have necessarily her doctors. She's paying a lot more. And because there's no free market out there, because she's not able to shop around, She's not going to be in a position of being able to get the best deal. And in her particular case, and I know this happens to a lot of people, you know, she makes too much money to get any sort of government subsidy at all. So she's paying more and more money out of her pocket. For people like Joe, she's in much worse, a much worse situation under Obamacare. Now, again, the, the, the good thing about Obamacare is it allowed people, it, it allowed people to come in and to get insurance. You know, if they chose. But a lot of those people could have gotten insurance anyways. They just chose not to do that. 
it does deal with the issue of pre-existing coverage, which pre-existing conditions, which is a huge factor, though. Mary in Oak Creek. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Mary. I, I was wondering what the big deal is for that um, having the coverage up till age 26 under your parents' plan. Back when I was younger, they had it where, you know, when you graduated from high school, if you didn't go on to college, you were off your parents' insurance. They had it where, you know, if you went to college, right. you kept your parents' insurance until you were done with college. Why can you keep it until 26 now? Well, because it's the politics of it. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, I remember that. I stayed on my parents' health insurance policy till I got out of, I'm pretty sure, college, maybe even law school. You might have been, as long as you were like a full-time student and stuff, you could right. continue. But, you know, once, once that ended, um, the, the answer to your question is it's the politics of it because parents want it. People find that that's popular because, hey, it's, it's cheaper to keep the kid on my policy than it is to try to have them go out and have to get insurance themselves, and then a lot of times mom and dad are going to pay for it. I mean, that's, that might not be a good answer, but I think that's the answer. Well, what about them just going out and getting a job? Yeah, I. Well, right, or... Where or, they could get insurance. Well, well right. You're, that, see, that's the thing. Or let's say you get insurance and you, you, you get a job. You're 22 years old. Right. You get a job, you know, the, the job offers you insurance. That's what I did. Ex- exactly. What, got a job. Right. If, if insurance is available to you, your question is, why should you still be able to stay on your parents' insurance policy um, and have the rest of us subsidize that cost as opposed to paying it yourself? Right. That's your question. Right. And that, right. No, that and the answer. Thanks, Mary. The answer is politics. I, I don't have a I don't have a better answer th- than that. Look, the devil is in the details with all this Obamacare stuff. The, the truth is the the real purpose of Obamacare, in my opinion, was ultimately to lead us to national health insurance. That was the idea. I think it was foreseeable that you would have a lot of insurers, insurance companies that simply dropped out because you had so many people with so many health conditions suddenly pouring into the system and the health care costs ended up being so great that you couldn't increase premiums enough to to cover all that. And that's kind of the situation we're in now. I think that was one of the intended consequences of Obamacare. Here, we're going to try to drive private insurers out of the market, and then the only choice is going to be for the government to take it all over. That's where I think we were leading, unless we do something to reverse it. And I'm not saying this Republican plan is perfect. The devil is in the details. But unless we do something to reverse it, mark my words, within the next four or five years, I think you are going to be looking at single payer. We're Canada. We're Great Britain. It's essentially nationalized health insurance. And is that what anybody really wants? Just asking. 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One final thought about Obamacare. Obamacare was always doomed to fail because at its heart insurance is about spreading risk the idea that you have a mass of people and let's talk about health insurance and most people are healthy most people don't file claims that they probably they don't use a lot of health resources that they may they maybe never even have to they never even maybe in a given year meet their deductible but they're still paying premiums Okay, so the insurance company takes those premiums. Well, what does it do with it? The insurance company takes those premiums from the people who are healthy who aren't really drawing on that. So they're they're paying money into this, and they use that to pay for the people who are who are sick. 
the ones who are drawing it, and then they keep a little bit of money for themselves. I mean, that's the nature of the business. But it's all about spreading the risk. And if suddenly you have insurance pools and there's a lot of people that have catastrophic illnesses there and people that have the the cancer diagnosis and are going to look at a million dollars in fees, well, if you have all sorts of people like that in, in the pool and you don't have enough healthy people, what's going to end up happening is the insurance company is going to be paying out more than it is taking in. So that means they either go out of business. That means they either they go out of business, they stop offering these type of plans, they stop participating, or they have to jack up the premiums on everybody so much that they, again, cover these losses. And, and that's that's the problem with creating these pools. Our caller Joe was making the point that before Obamacare, you had this whole wide raft of insurers that she could choose from. She could pick and choose. She could compete. She could say, okay, there's nine or ten insurance companies that are out there. They all want my business. Which one has the best premiums? Which one has the best coverage? Well, under Obamacare, what has happened is because the risk pools have changed, now you you don't have all those different choices. You have one, maybe two choices of insurers You've got very, very limited options. You got to take what that particular program ends up giving you, and you are probably paying more, especially if you're someone who's not rich, not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but not, not poor enough to qualify for the government subsidies. The person that's making 60 grand a year who has suddenly seen their insurance premiums go through the roof. Obamacare was always destined to fail. But again, the problem that the Republicans are going to have is that once you institute once you institute a social service program, an entitlement program, a massive entitlement program like Obamacare or Social Security, to try to take it away, you're always going to have people screaming because folks are going to say, well, I, I didn't have insurance before. Well, you didn't have insurance before because you probably didn't go out and try to find insurance. But, okay, you didn't have insurance before, so now I've got it. I don't want to give it up. And if you can get something, in my opinion, that is a little bit more, that is more market-based and creates a penalty for dropping your insurance. See, that that's part of the problem with this whole pre-existing coverage condition thing. You know, if, if you go along for years and decide, I don't want to pay into the system, um, but now, hey, I've gotten sick. Now I'm going to be one of these net takers. Now, you know, give me insurance during the sign-up period or let me sign up, you know, when it's when it's due after six months or whatever. That That collapses the system as well. So I'm not sure I have the answer, but I will tell you, unless you do something, we are going to be looking at nationalized health insurance, health, a nationalized health system, I think within the next, in my opinion, like five years or so. And I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't want those choices taken away from me. I don't want them taken away from, you know, my employer. I do want to choose my own doctor and I do want to be able to choose my own coverage. Just saying. All right. Yesterday, President Trump rolled out his new deportation order. As we have talked about before, uh, I think one of the, the big early mistakes that, that President Trump made was that this immigration hold, and, and not necessarily the concept, but the way it was rolled out. Trump identified seven countries. In some cases, it, these countries are, are less run by governments and more run by regimes. 
they are majority Muslim, but but there's a lot of countries that are majority Muslim that aren't covered by the, the travel ban. And what Trump said was, we need to have a superior, we need more vetting. We need to figure out, because these countries, these regimes, don't do a good job of determining who is leaving the countries, that we can't trust them. What we need to do is we need to put a temporary hold on immigration from these countries so we can improve our vetting process. Now, as we have discussed before, the problem was the way they went about it. And it's just mind-boggling to me that you don't have somebody in the administration who would have asked these kind of questions. Like, all right, what do you do with people who are already legally allowed to be in the U.S. from one of these countries? What about green card holders? What about visa card holders? Whatever. And and nobody apparently had that, that answer, which created this whole, just this huge issue that developed. It also created problems for the Trump administration in court because... If you're a green card holder or you're here on a visa, you have under the law certain due process rights, not as much as an American citizen would have, but you do have some rights. And the, the Trump administration in its initial order uh, apparently did not recognize that. So here, here's the new order that they rolled out yesterday in an effort to deal with the, the court issues. Starting March 16th, so there's, again, a 10-day period, phase-in period. Starting March 16th, foreign nationals from Sudan, Syria, Iran, Iran, Libya, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen, who are outside the U.S., so these are people who are not in the U.S., who do not have a valid visa and do not have a green card, may not enter the U.S. during a 90-day suspension. Um, the order also reduces the number of refugees that we're going to accept from 110 to 50,000. But the, the bottom line is, this is saying we're going to put a temporary halt on people who so far have not been approved to come in the United States until we can improve our vetting procedures. A lot of people think that that is going to pass constitutional muster. The usual suspects are out there saying this is nothing but a war on Islam this is nothing but, you know, again, the the Islamophobia that is going on by trying to impose a, severe, a more significant vetting process on people from these six countries. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Okay, let's tee this up. The new order that Trump is putting into effect, identifying six countries, exempting people who already have green cards or visas or whatever, and saying, hey, for 90 days, you know, 90 days, no more people coming in from these countries while we figure out a better vetting process. Is that unreasonable? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 943, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Bill and Franklin. Bill, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, this process already goes on, and it goes on bilateral. If, if I go to China on a vacation, I have to buy a visitor's visa into China, which is good for one year. Right. 
people coming here from the Ukraine or Russia or Thailand have to apply for a visitor's visa. This gives us a vetting process to let us know who's coming into the country and that they just don't disappear when they get in here. Right, and and never having done the visitor's thing to China, but my guess is it's not an automatic thing. You apply for it, right, and there is some vetting that goes on before you're allowed to come in, right? Yeah, you have, well, you have to provide them with, with uh, documents. Right. You know, birth certificate and uh, your passport and and yeah, that's that's the process. And you pay a healthy number just to get that visitor's visa to check. Yeah, and I guess I don't I see I'm with you. I do not understand why this is so incredibly controversial. Now again I I, I, I thought the rollout originally was ham handed. I, I don't think it it's amazing to me that somebody didn't say, What about people who already have visas or green cards? But this idea that we're going to identify some of these countries that really are, like I said, it's a much regime as it is country. We we don't know who is coming through there just because we want to check it out. Why why is that so controversial? I guess, Bill, I frankly don't get it. And well, and what's what's really sad is that we we do it with the Ukraine. It's very difficult for somebody living in the Ukraine to get a visitor's visa to come here. Right. And these are people who are they they want to be part of the Western European Union, and they want to be our allies, and we block them from coming. So I, I don't understand the distinction simply because these are, we're doing this because of some maybe a Muslim religious thing. Right, well, right. I mean, yeah, exactly. Thanks, and seeing, of course, thanks for the call, Bill. And, and what, what's going on, of course, I mean, I understand the argument. They're saying, well, if you look at these six countries that we're targeting, they are, you know, Muslim, predominantly Muslim majority countries. In a couple cases, it's almost all Muslims that live in the countries. And so this is automatically a, a ban on Muslim. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of majority Muslim countries that aren't included in this. So, I mean, this to me is the easy answer that you can launch into and jump into if you're going to try to attack this. But to me, the fundamental question is, you know, does it, does it end up making sense? Is this something that says, hey, you know, we're, and we're not going to eliminate immigration from this country, these countries. We're just simply going to say, you know what? There, there's going to be a vetting process before we allow you to come in, especially since we are not confident, secure, whatever about the countries where you are coming from. This to me makes eminent sense. Now, the problem, of course, is, the way the last one was rolled out and because it was not explained well and because it came in the context of some of the stuff that was said during the campaign where uh, the speculation about maybe we should deport everybody who's Muslim, you know, stuff that, you know, just makes you, you know, your head explode. You know, those, I mean, I understand that that is the context. And so that's what all this type of stuff is going to be viewed on. But the idea of being able to vet people coming in this. See, I don't think you have an absolute right to be able to immigrate to this country. I mean, I think that we have the right to say we want to know who is coming in. And I fully appreciate that if you look at the various acts of terrorism that have occurred since 9-11, you know, the vast majority of them, it's either it, it's either homegrown terrorists or it's people who have come into this country on visas and things like that, and not necessarily from any of these type of six these six countries. But that still doesn't mean, hey, if you've got hostile regimes that aren't in the process of vetting the people that are leaving, do we really just want to say, let's open the doors and let people in? Uh, 
I understand that this is going to get additional court challenges. I mean, the editorials are already out there saying, well, no, we, we appreciate that this is better and this is tailored to address the court's legal concerns, but we want to come in here anyways because we think this is, again, it's an attack on the Muslim religion. It's not an attack on the Muslim religion. It's an effort to try to make sure we know who is coming into this country. There is a distinction not a distinction, and that's a distinction, and it's a distinction with a difference. And this particular rollout is different than what he did before. And I just, I wish he hadn't have done it in such a ham-handed fashion a month ago. If you would have done this in a thoughtful way, explained it as it is now being explained, you wouldn't have half the controversy. 952, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.55, Jeff Wright, 6.20, WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. I call it Dealer's Choice, the most talkable topic of the day. As I was looking through the heavy lifting, I stumbled across a story in the Washington Post, PG-13-related warning, Americans having less sex than they once did. We will discuss at the start of the 10 o'clock hour some interesting numbers that are there, and also Donald Trump not backing off on his claims that he was wiretapped. What do you think the truth is? That is all coming up. All right, this, this is the story that caught my attention. Um, for millennials, for our millennials in the audience, there are, there's a new cottage industry that is developing um, as, as people try to assess needs. They're called, I'm not making this up, adulting classes. Not adultery classes, adulting, A-D-U-L-T-I-N-G, adulting classes. The idea being, let's get millennials together so they can learn stuff. And there are there are groups all across the country. For example, a public library in North Bend, Oregon, offering Adulting 101, basic how-tos for the ages 16 to 25. All right, so what are some of the things <clears throat> that you can learn in an adulting class? Know how to fold sheets? <laughs> Know how to change a tire? Know how to cook dinner? Know how to balance your checkbook? Well, these are, these are adulting classes, um, being established for millennials. Do you know how to, do you know how to fold sheets? All right. Now, at, at some point in time, I guess, I mean, I understand, I, I think it's important, if, if you're going to go through life, it is important that you know how to, to fold sheets. I think it's probably important that you know how to change a tire, although I suspect most people just call AAA or the garage or whatever. Do you know how to basically cook dinner? Yeah, I, I get this. But, but seriously, have we gotten to the point in America 2017 where we are so dysfunctional that you need to take a class as opposed to all right, teaching you how to fold sheets. Jane Matinair, who just walked in. Jane Matinair, you know how to fold sheets, don't you? I do, actually. Okay. All right. My guess is you've probably known how to fold sheets for most of your life. I would say no. All right. Um, I, I did eventually. I think I, I looked it up on YouTube. You you learned on YouTube? <laughs> this, the, the fitted sheet. Because that's the tricky one. Well, I understand, but I mean, okay. When when you were growing up, your 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 parents never, as part of your chores, had you folding sheets or doing laundry or anything like that. No, I didn't do laundry. Wow. Okay. Well, I ironed, but I didn't. Oh, oh, I didn't. Okay, but that would be another one that they have. You know how to iron. 
Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay. See, this is the thing. I I mean, we we ask this question a lot rhetorically on the show. Where are the parents? I I mean, really, okay, my producer Hondo says, I'm a millennial, and you can do most of the things because your mother taught you. Yes, you, you, you know how to put clothes in a washing machine. You know how to take clothes after they're in the washing machine and put them in a dryer. You did not need to sign up for a class at the North Bend Public Library to, to be taught this. You know how you can kind of, I mean, how do you need a class to fold sheets, for goodness sakes? I mean, you know, all right, but let, let's take the fitted seats out of the equation for a minute. I mean, you just kind of fold them. It, it's, do you, do you need rocket? <laughs> do you really need a class that teaches you how to fold a, a sheet? I mean, here. How, gee, how do I wash dishes? Oh, I, I open up the dishwasher. I put some soap. I, you, I didn't know you had to put soap into the dishwasher. You push the button. You turn it on. I mean, seriously, balance your checkbook. I mean, okay, where are mom and dad and these type of things? And, I, again, I, maybe this is just where we are in America in 2016, and maybe this is this kind of great cottage industry that's there. I mean, I cook dinner. Now, I, I mean, I get it. If you want to be a gourmet cook and you want to go and learn recipes, but that's not what this is. This is essentially, all right, how, how you take a hamburger patty and put it in a frying pan. I mean, for God's sake, how much more can we dumb down life? Just ask. Nine fifty nine. A dealer's choice is coming up. It's the story that caught my attention. The numbers are staggering. Stick around. Nine fifty nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. <laughs> 1008, this is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right, this is the segment. I do this this time every day. I call it Dealer's Choice. It's a topic that is not the most significant topic. I acknowledge that necessarily, but it's one that I find to be just incredibly talkable. It's that one that kind of just tickles my fancy and, and just makes me think about different stuff, and, and hopefully you will find it interesting as well. Now, on this program, we do we, we do a lot of heavy lifting. We do talk about topics of, of substance. I mean, so far today, we've, we've talked about the overspread of casinos in Wisconsin and Obamacare and the travel ban and, you know, a guy being charged criminally for shooting gun. Th- those different types of things. So I, I concede that this next, next topic is not in that category. Nevertheless, as somebody who is fascinated by the human condition and trends in society, I admit this this has captivated my attention. Now, what I need to do at the start is I need to give my PG-13 related warning because this topic is PG-13. So if you're if you're driving around in the car and you've got, you know, your your 8-year-old son or daughter with you and you don't let them listen to PG-13 related stuff, you know, just you can you know check out come on back in a couple minutes. So PG related PG-13 related topic Give you a couple seconds just to, like, find something else. Do, 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 do. Okay. That's the warning. All right. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking through the Washington Post last night. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of – I was actually – I was sort of researching the, the Trump travel ban thing, and I've been following the, the wiretap claims, and I'm trying to really understand where it came from. So that's why I was actually looking at the Washington Post. And I come across a headline that caught my attention. Americans having less sex – than they once did. Um, a new paper published yesterday in something called the Journal of the Archives of Sexual Behavior, which I confess, up until yesterday, was never aware of, shows a drop in the number of Americans who are having sex. A dramatic drop. It's a drop across gender, race, region, education level, and work status. 
So, I mean, this is, it, it's across the waterfront. People are having less sex. The, here's what it says. Um, they looked at data from 1989 to 2014. And again, the, the problem is, I guess with some of this data is that it's sort of self-reported. I'm sure they're, they're asking people, so people always lie. But here, here is it. The study found that American adults have sex seven to nine fewer times per year than in the 1990s. Back then, all right, here's this dazzling detail to, here's this dazzling detail to while your friends at lunch and stuff. Here, according to the survey, back then, the average person had sex 60 to 62 times a year. That was back in the 90s. By the early 2000s, the frequency began, by, early, by, the, by the early 2000s, the frequency began to slip. And by 2014, it had declined to less than 53 times a year. So that's what they say the average person, <laughs> 53 now, down from 60 to 62. Right. See, that's this dazzling detail to kind of discuss. When looking only at married people, the drop was even sharper from around 73 times a year in 1990 to around 55 in 2014, um, bringing the frequency of sexual activity below that of never married people. So um, th- those are what the, the numbers are. And it does appear kind of consistent. But then the interesting phenomena to me, and this is the social question, the question is, is why? You know, what what is it that is causing that to happen? Do people not like it as much? <laughs> I'm just throwing this out there. Do people not like it enough? Or is is there something else? I have theories. I have theories on this. I, frankly... I believe these numbers. I, I believe that there is, a, you know, an overall trend of, of this decreasing. And I have a couple theories as to why it is going on. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're just going to do this for one segment, but this is the, this dealer's choice thing. You do not have to call in and tell me whether you are average, above average, or below average. That is not That, that is not what I want to know. What I am curious about is if we accept these numbers, that there is less of this going on, less people getting busy on a regular basis, what, why is that? Why has this declined? What is it in our society that is, is making this happen? So you don't have to tell me average, above average, below average. That's, you know, that's your business. But, but if we accept this is true, why? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is one where sometimes sometimes it's it's all guys that call. Sometimes it's, it's women. I am hoping we get input from both men and women. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It is 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. I told a couple people this morning I was going to do this topic, and they were all looking. At me. This is the response. Are great. There, there's this new. I found this story in the Washington Post. Americans having less sex than they once did. What they say is back in the early 1990s, the average person had sex sixty to sixty-two times a year. That has now declined to less than fifty-three times a year. I don't. I don't want to know where you fit in on that scale. But if we assume that this is true, and you know, I think it probably is, 
What do you think is going on? Let's start with Cheryl in Milwaukee. Cheryl, good morning. Good morning. I think that there might be a couple of things to look at here. First of all, consider the demigration, excuse me, the demographics of our population. An adult that was 35 in 1990 in 2014 was, you know, right. closer to, to 60. So what, <laughs> so what, what, what you're saying is us baby boomers are, are losing, <laughs> are, 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 well, are, are losing the urge. That's what you're telling me? <laughs> well, I think that, that maybe not the, less so much, so much the urge, but maybe less frequency and just other things coming up in lives. Right. And, and as your kids get older, you have less time for that. Uh, so I think right. that that's, Something to consider. Right, the, uh, the, the population, the changing uh, demographics. No, okay, I think that, that's. I, I just, I mean, I, I think, I mean, obviously, may, maybe that's the thing. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Something like that. It's possible, but of course, you know, you, you've got at the same time, you've got all the millennials coming up. And again, I, I, I don't know, but as a student of the pop culture, it, it seems like, it, it seems like at least if you read some of these stories about hookups and stuff that's going on. Well, I mean, the, the 50-something number is, of course, an average. Um, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I do have, I have a couple, I have a couple theories on this. Let's talk to Julie in Appleton. Julie, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? I believe that it is going down, but I think there's a couple of things. One of the main things is, is we are just too connected. We are connected with the Internet, the Netflix shows, social media, things like that. You know, I actually, Julie, I agree with you. And I understand what you and I are about to say might sound silly, but it's kind of like, oh, honey, come to bed. No, I just I, I want to check my Facebook page one more time, or oh, I'm 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 on the internet, I'm 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 surfing this type of stuff. Ah, you you go ahead on up to bed. Now I'll, I'll be up, and then two hours later, you know, it's it's right. what happens. Yeah, we as a society are completely filled with social media and mm-hmm. constantly on some sort of electronics. Right, and I'm, I believe another thing is is too many people are helicopter parenting, and we are running around chasing after our kids, constantly putting them in this and that. When I was a kid, we had bikes. We got there. Okay. Our parents didn't drive us anywhere. Okay, i I, I got to stop you there for a second. I see I was with you on the social media stuff. I'm not sure how the helicopter parroting ties into the, you know, the, 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 the couples getting busy with each other, you know, fewer, well, I, fewer times. I, I just feel that parenting... We are constantly running around yeah, with our busy, kids so yeah, busy. much that we are so busy. By the time I, we get home, we check our Facebook and we're exhausted. <laughs> yeah, well, that I mean, thank, I, I, thanks. For, I mean, I do think, I, I, I do think, one is it, it is social social media. I think people just okay. It's I mean, all right, here, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be with you a little bit here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna sur- you know I'm gonna do I'm just surfing these type of things. I, I do think it is that constantly plugged in thing. I, I do think. It would be, I would also add in this category that people are exhausted. Now, whether it's exhausted from chasing around the kids or more, you know, more couples where both mom and dad or husband and wife are, are working and it's kind of the end of the day and it's been a stressful long day and you come home and you make dinner and you sit down and you just kind of like nod off on the couch. Now, I, I don't know that that's more than say 15 or 20 years ago, but I, I do think See, I think that's a factor as well. 414-799-1620. Joe in Mayville. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, You kind of stole my thunder. Um, I got three beautiful little girls at home. Um, 
And in today's economy, it's so hard to make ends meet. My wife works two jobs. I work long hours. Uh, we got daycare is just extremely expensive. Um, and by the time it's all said and done, um, you're so beat by the end of the day yeah. and just trying to make ends meet right. um, that it, it's just not practical sometimes. Right. It, it's again. It's one of these where again the spirit is willing, but it's just kind of no, like but a, the body I, is not letting you do it. Right. It's uh, so you believe you believe these numbers. You're not surprised that this is happening. No, I, I'm not because I mean in today's economy, it's getting harder and harder for families to survive, and it's so it's like the pay isn't going up for us, but the inflation to buy things mm-hmm. or just to go to the grocery store, um, just to you know to sustain a family of five, um, what it takes. It, it, it's yeah. so much more than it was back in the seventies and eighties. No, I think no. I, I I mean I do think it. it I mean I, I do think when you have, you know, more people that are working and more people that are um, working longer hours, um, I do think this might sound superficial. I, I do think there's more entertainment choices that are out there. You know, now hey, what's we we've got? We, you know, hey, okay, when when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you know, you had the three or four TV networks that were there. Now you've got, you know, hey, oh, there's a movie on. I'll be up in a little while, honey. You know, I'll just, just just go ahead. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of this stuff that is going on. Oh, the guy that was going to give me numbers dropped off. Um, okay, um, Mike in Muskego. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Thanks. First time caller. <laughs> this is pick what up. motivated you to pick up the phone. Okay. Well. Welcome. First of, first of all, I think a lot has to do with the demographics of the ages of our country, too. I think you got to keep in mind that right. uh, when you have the largest group, I think, that's in the country is the baby boom group right now. There's some 60, 70 million people right. of us that are baby boomers. And let's face it, as you get older, I mean, yep. the, probably the numbers of times that you're active sexually is probably dropped significantly. Yeah. So I don't know if the... Washington Post article, you know, broke it down by age group or anything, but I think that would be kind of interesting. Well, I, I actually, um, I actually, it does. <laughs> it and, and that, it's no surprising. I mean, it does find a steady decline in frequency as as people age. Um, it says over eighty times a year for people in their twenties, about sixty times a year by forty five, and twenty times a year by the age of of sixty. So I mean, it, it does kind of reflect that, but but overall, I, I think what it also suggests, though, is even in all those different brackets, there has been a, a steady decline that um, is is going on. Getting all these people saying, "What what what, what are the numbers? I missed them." Okay, well, this is this is what the numbers are. Average person has sex sixty to back in the early nineteen nineties had sex sixty to sixty two times a year. Um, by 2014, it had declined to less than 53 times a year. So uh, a steady drop. I think it's true. I blame it on social media. I blame it on, on jobs. I blame it on the different entertainment choices. Maybe we can blame it on Trump, too. What do you think? Maybe, maybe, are people stressed out because of Donald Trump? I don't know. He gets blamed for everything else. Maybe lump that in. Uh, just saying. It's uh, It's in the Washington Post. Americans having sex less than they once did. Interesting study. Do with it what you will. 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten twenty eight, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Art. It's now safe. We're done with the PG-13 related topic. Um, 
I actually, I love our Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It's the same number. It's a call line, but you can now also text because on topics like that, there's all sorts of things that people like to share that you, you, wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily get on the radio to share this stuff, but it's, it's interesting. And when we're talking about things like we just got done with, like this survey out there about Americans you know, getting busy less, it, it, it's interesting that we have on the text. Let's see. Um, Don, for example, texts. <laughs> I can't believe those numbers are that high. I must be getting lots of sleep. Yeah, that's um, that's it. Um, no name, please. Okay. Um, the guy, he, he shares. He shares how many times he and his wife have sex every month. <laughs> Jane Matnier, you're just shaking your head. Does he have a graph? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know, but um. But actually, he says he's 71 years old and he's given me, he says he's 71 years old and he's given me these numbers to which I say, you go, guy. <laughs> yeah. let, let, let me put it like this. You know, he, for, for like the baby boomers that apparently are like down in numbers, this guy is making it up. He's making up the, for those numbers. You know, he's, he's bringing up the curve, as we say. I love this job. I just absolutely <laughs> do. I get paid for it. I love this job. All right. Coming up right after the news, Donald Trump is doubling down on his claim that he was illegally wiretapped by former President Obama. He's asking Congress to help prove it. We're going to discuss whether or not there is smoke, whether or not there is fire, or whether or not this is foolishness. So stick around. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some say celebrities and others in the news should not comment on the current state of politics in the United States. Does Miss America 2017 agree? She stops by Wisconsin's afternoon news at 321 today. Okay. Um, Donald Trump last week had a very good Tuesday. His joint address to Congress I thought was exceptional. I, I give him an A. I think some of his detractors, and, and the Wall Street Journal had a great editorial yesterday. It was, it, I think it was titled something like, you know, Washington goes nuts. The, the Trump detractors, not willing to allow him to have his presidential moment in the sun, then decide to bring out the long knives. They attack Jeff Sessions. You get crazy Nancy Pelosi saying things like, well, Attorney General Sessions should, he should have to, he should be charged with perjury because... He was being asked in his confirmation hearings about whether or not there was any contact between the Russians and the Trump campaign, and he said he hadn't had any. And it turns out when he was on the Armed Forces Services Committee, he met with the Russian ambassador. Okay, well, I'm Nancy, I kind of dial it down. So after after that hysteria, then at the end of the week, you have these allegations. Oh, Vice President Mike Pence, turns out when he was governor of Indiana, he conducted some state business, some Indiana business on, on a, through a personal email account. This is the Hillary Clinton scandal. Well, no, Indiana law lets you do this, and it's not like he was dealing with classified information. But again, so you have the long knives that are out trying to bring down President Trump. And, and I'm sure it is, it is frustrating. All right, which brings us to... The, the tweets over the weekend, 6.35 a.m. Um, on March 4th, he sends out a tweet. Terrible. Just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. 
That was um, 5.35, I guess 5, well, let's see. Uh, I, I don't know if it's Eastern or Central time, but okay. Then 14 minutes later, he sends out another tweet. It says, is it legal for a sitting president to be wiretapping a race for president prior to an election? Turned down by court earlier, a new low. All right. Then three minutes later. I bet a good lawyer could make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October, just prior to the election. And then, 10 minutes after that, how low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon slash Watergate, bad parents or sick guy. All right. So, I mean, now you have the President of the United States, who is saying that during the campaign, my phones were tapped. And it was at the direction of the former president of the United States. Now, this is a really, really big deal. As somebody in another who in another life ran wiretaps, I mean, not, not national security wiretaps, but I, I know what it takes to put together the wiretap applications and all the things that you have to show in order to get it, probable cause, there's a crime committed, etc. So, I mean, I, I know how much work goes into that. A problem in my career, I, I probably ran 10 to 15 wiretaps. I mean, they're they're lengthy. It's a lot of work. It's labor-intensive. Um, and, you know, it, it's significant to do that. Now, you've also got the national security players, and that's that's a sort of different rule where you go in and you ask for the NSA goes in and asks for stuff. It's, it's handled a little bit differently, but still, there, there is a standard. So the former head of the NSA comes out and says, we have no idea what President Trump is talking about. The head of the FBI, James Comey, comes out and says, we, we have never wiretapped Donald Trump. We haven't wiretapped Trump Tower. We don't know what he is talking about. And, of course, then all the talking head shows go, go ballistic saying, all right, where, where is the evidence of this? And essentially the Trump folks come up with, well, a, a talk radio host who linked to a couple of these alt-right sources who used some things related to anonymous sources um, who said, well, you know, there, there were, you know, some of the Trump associates might have showed up on some of these intercepts, which doesn't mean, e- even if you have, for example, if, if you're wiretapping Russians, and they end up talking to Trump associates, for example. That doesn't mean that the Trump offices are wiretapped. It might mean, okay, if I show, if Hondo's house is being, if Hondo's phone is being wiretapped and he calls me, I'm going to show up on that wiretap. And it's not because I'm wiretapped, not because they're wiretapping me. It's because I'm talking to him. But in any event, this is a dispute which is, is not going away. Uh, the president is now going to Congress. And saying, I want you to help find evidence that my phones had been tapped by Barack Obama. Let's conduct an investigation. Let's get the House and Senate Intelligence Committees looking into this. All right. Let's take a step back and let's take a deep breath. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you believe that the government... President Obama and the institutions of the government, do you believe that they were wiretapping Donald Trump? I mean, targeting Donald Trump, wiretapping his office, wiretapping Trump Tower 
during the course of the election season. Do you believe this stuff was going on? Or at least based on what we have now, do you think this is just completely and totally made up? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Do you think that there's fire? Do you think that there might be smoke? Or is this just, I don't know, ramblings? Ramblings completely unsupported in fact and in reality. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. What do you think is going on? It's 1041. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1045. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, look, during, during the Nixon years, there's no question that he had an enemies list. He directed the FBI to do illegal wiretaps on his enemies, and, and they did, right? All sorts of new laws were passed in result, as a result of that. Over the weekend, Donald Trump goes on another one of these tweet storms, suggest, not just suggesting, but you know, saying that Barack Obama had tapped his phones and that um, it, it, it's a new low. Now, I will tell you this. White House sources were caught, were completely flummoxed by this. People wake up Sunday morning. They've got their cup of coffee. They're having their toast. And people in the White House apparently had no idea he was going to go on this tweet storm. This is not... This was not something that was planned. This was just something that he started tweeting to the point that, you know, it's now being reported. The White House aides have been told, you know, don't even address this. Don't don't talk about this. Don't say anything, because at least in the White House, it appears that most of the people don't know what the heck he is talking about. But what do you think? Do you think that there's some merit to this? Let's start with Tony on the North Shore. Tony, good morning. You're first. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, well, Jeff, it's uh, even... I mean, you know this from your former employment. The president is the one person in the United States that can declassify anything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if if this, which we both know didn't happen, yeah. he would he would be able to point it out, correct? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you would. This is a and big they, deal. Not only that, Jeff, but we had the DNI, the former DNI, come on to meet the press. Say it never happened under his watch, right? And it, and we have, obviously, the other, the NSA councils and everything else. And to be able to, the president doesn't have that authority anymore. Right. Well, so it would, right said it would have to be an illegal wiretap. It would have to be, here, I, I want you to, to do this. And, no. And if that would be done, Jeff, uh, again, what a conspiracy that would be. And you know how that how long that lasts. I, well, exactly. I, mean, th- I mean, I guess, see, I think, the reason I think this is a big deal and, and I wasn't a fan of Barack Obama, and I, I, I'm happy with some of the things Donald Trump did. But, but okay, it's 5.30 in the morning. You are essentially accusing your predecessor of committing a, a crime and, and saying that you have been wiretapped. Um, nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just the reality. Nobody knows. Now, I guess, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's possible that Martians could land at Cathedral Square Park, you know, tomorrow but at, at 3 p.m. I, I don't know that. But none of the aides apparently know. Nobody seems to know. And now the president is saying, "Well, I, I want the intelligence uh, community to inve- the intelligence community to investigate this." But before before you go and accuse somebody of of doing this, don't you need some sort of evidence for this? I mean, is it possible? Maybe I don't know. I it's look. Do I have any doubt that we are wiretapping Russians all over this country? Yes. If some of those people who were wiretapped might have had conversations with Donald Trump associates, could the associates have shown up on wiretaps? Entirely possible. 
But that doesn't mean Donald Trump is being wiretapped. And it doesn't mean that the president has ordered, like the former president has ordered illegal wiretapping. Let's talk to Mark in Bayview. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. I firmly believe that he just did it to take away from all the press coverage that uh, uh, Jeff Sessions was caught lying to Congress, another one of his cabinet picks. Um, in regards to talking to the Russians. I think he just did this to, you know... Kind of the chaos like, theory. Hey, I have a shiny thing over here in yeah. my hand, and True. everyone look over here, and that's, that's why he did it. Yeah, well, I, I mean, see, now, where, where, where you and I disagree, Marcus, I don't think Jeff Sessions lied to Congress. I, I think that that was, uh, again, I think that was a fake news sort of story. But at the same time, I, I could easily see the President of the United States being really angry at that fake news story so this being one of his his responses i just if you're going to say things like this don't you have to have solid proof to back it up there's there's a big politifact thing out and it's in today's local newspaper and others as well i'm not a fan of politifact but it it, it kind of breaks down they said to the trump administration where does this come from and you get a lot of humana 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 well okay there's there's this alt-right thing called Heat Street, and they cite some, you know, anonymous, unsourced report somewhere else. And it, it, they're, they're, they're just, before you say something like this, doesn't there need to be, you know, some some basis? Roger in Janesville. Roger, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I think it's possible for it to happen, but he's just taking a shotgun approach, trying to see if he can hit a target, and... He should just shut up. He's making himself look like a fool. He should concentrate on being the president and, and let this petty stuff go. Well, well, I mean, well, right. Or, or if, if you really believe that your predecessor wiretapped you, I mean, that is a huge story. But th- then it is a big deal. But then, then don't you? Then you have a press conference. Then you address the nation and say, "Hey, this is the evidence I have of what turned up." Um, I'm referring it to Department of Justice. Maybe we're going to have a special prosecutor because look what I found. Here are the surveillance photos that show the missiles in Cuba. This is what these photos are. This is our evidence, not just these tweets at 535 in the morning that nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. Excuse, excuse my has, friend. He has nothing right now. Uh, yeah. Can you, can you imagine being being an aide? You know, you, you know you're, you're okay. You're one of the White House aides. You know, it's Saturday night. You go out, you have a couple of cocktails, you have a nice dinner with your spouse. You wake up Sunday morning into the middle of this you-know-what storm. Can you imagine what that's like? I would probably replace his phone with a, a dummy phone <laughs> and let him, let him tweet away. I, you know, there's this, I mentioned this at the end of the show yesterday. The, the Politico has this big story about how Reince Priebus, you know, former chairman of the Republican National Committee and the state Republican Party and just an overall good guy about how the long knives in the Trump administration are out for him. And they're saying, well, he's he's a micromanager and he's running from meeting to meeting and he's trying to control all these type of things. Of course he is. I mean, my God, can you imagine a tougher job in Washington, D.C., number one, than to be the chief of staff? And number two, to be the chief of staff of somebody who's going to get a wild hair up a certain part of their anatomy at five o'clock in the morning and start sending out things accusing the former president, your predecessor, of essentially violating law. Could could theoretically there have been, I guess, NSA wiretaps at Trump Tower? Well, I mean, yeah, theoretically anything is possible, but don't you have to have some some solid proof of that before you say, just found out Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory? I mean... <laughs> 
you know, I, I mean, if I was going to do that, I'd be standing there. I'd be standing there waving the documents that uh, that there was. Oh my goodness! Let's talk to uh, Jason on the east side. Jason, you're at six twenty WTMJ. How's it going? Real well, thank um, you. What do you think? What's going on here? I think that he's, you know, he's been on TV, and I'm a Trump supporter too. Mm-hmm. So he's been on TV. He's just stirring up the pot a little bit more. Uh, what's going on? Um, because uh, I, mean, I, I mean, there's so much going on, though, that people are accusing him of everything. And, you know, there's stories every day with the fake right. news, this, fake news, that. So if he does something else and something turns up, then it benefits him. And if nothing turns up, I think, then it'll just probably watch this guy out. Because it's kind of a distraction, kind of like the this, this shiny object here. Don't. Let's change the narrative. Let's talk about this, and then people stop talking about other stuff, and then they'll forget about this a few right. days no later. What that man does, he he can't do anything. I, you know, I mean, he he can't if he watches something on the news and repeats it the next day. Oh, he gets all his uh, research from Fox News, right. and you know, it's just like whatever that guy does, he's just getting criticized. Oh, okay, but at the same, see, Jason, and I don't agree, I, I don't disagree with you that I think a lot of the criticism that he's gotten has been sort of unfair. But having said that, you're you're a Trump supporter. Do you think? Do you think he helps himself when he sends out tweets like this at five thirty-five on a Sunday morning without any real evidence to back up the claim? I I honestly believe he doesn't care yeah. how it turns out because he's going to say what he wants to say so I, he can get to where he wants to get I, to. I well, you know I, I mean, yeah, no, I know, I know. I mean, I I know exactly what you mean, and this was one of for people who were mad at me. During the election, because I could not get behind Donald Trump as a candidate, and I didn't want Hillary Clinton to win, and I have been—I—I I, I did an interview a while back, and they said, "Well, where are you after the election?" I said, "Look, I, I'm not sorry he—he he won. I will support him when he does things that I think are, are right. I like a lot of the stuff he's talking about on the economy. I—I I will support him on that, but at the same time, I'm not going to just carry water for stuff that's not." defensible on these things but during the campaign one of the things that bothered me a lot were just the the outrageous claims i mean ted cruz's father was involved in the jfk assassination oh come on but but that gets the kind of headlines and then well i and and i I guess i was kind of hoping that when we were going to get government we we weren't going to govern like like that that we would kind of back off and i get i i lumped this into the category and and if it turns out that there is evidence that suggests he was wiretapped, I will be the first one that will be denouncing whoever did it or questioning where the authority came from or what the basis of it was. But I'm just saying, as the President of the United States, you don't say stuff like this, because words matter, unless you've got evidence to prove it. And there's just... No evidence right now suggesting that. And again, it's Stephen Hayes has a real interesting piece. You know, he's talking about how again th- this completely flummoxed the White House aides. They had no idea what the heck he was talking about, and to the point that now it's even increased the bunker mentality because everybody's saying, "Well, what he was talking about?" Everybody said, "We we have no idea what he was talking about," and it does it just does seem that he got uh, again got upset or irritated or whatever and got on the phone. Pat in Franksville. Pat, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi there, it's sort of a hypothetical question, but could Obama sue Trump for defamation of character? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, theor- I mean, thanks for going. I had, a, I had a former law school professor, Jim Giardi, passed away this year. I miss Jim a lot. 
um, who used to say you can sue anybody for anything. Um, that the you, you know as as a public figure, as as a public figure, you'd have to show like actual malice and things like that. In theory, yes. In practice, no. But again, this is just one where if I were revising Reince Priebus, and I, I think I try to get together with the Trump kids and Melania. And I'd say, can we hide his phone? <laughs> let's just let's just hide his phone and keep him away from tweets at five thirty-five in the morning. Just saying, it is ten fifty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So, Jane, have you noticed that um, our, our new like noon host, Steve Scafidi, it, it, you're, you're here early. I'm here early. You notice? He, I mean, he's here at like eight eight thirty in the morning on a regular basis. Yes. I, I've got a little bit of a bone to pick because <laughs> with, with him coming in early, that that has the effect of, you know, showing up that that lazy you know what who used to have that twelve to three time slot who would, <laughs> who, would who would come in like at ten thirty and stuff. I'm going Scafidi, you know, you're 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 making whoever that lazy so and so was before. You're making him look bad, you know. And you know, he's like, whatever happened to that guy? So you know, it's just kind of like, but all the work you do at home, Jeff, well, that no one you. can see. Thank you. Well, ac- actually, that's, that's true. It, it's yes. At eleven thirty last night, as I'm sitting there looking through all these things and, and sending the stuff off. Thank you. See, this is why we love Jane Matinair. <laughs> this is why Jane Matinair. Her 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 picture is up on the wall here at WTMJ. Deservedly so. So that's and, that's, and not yet defaced. <laughs> Early in the day. Yeah, it's um when you do leave, it's amazing. When Sykes left, I mean the, the picture was off the wall amazingly. It's like gone. I thought he took it with him. No, I, I think they, they, they said that they were going to move it to like this area like where retired people were we retired, you know, like the, the wall like, of the wall of. But but I haven't seen it. I mean I <laughs> I mean the the wall of with like Gordon Hinckley and stuff, it's it's not there. So I don't I don't know. Just, just kind of go on there. I don't know. That's that's see, Hondo. That's how you're going to know that I'm going to be gone. You just come in one day and the the, the, the picture is off the wall, and Scafidi's picture is moved over there or something like that. That's that, that's what it's going to do, right? That's right. That's that's. I'm going to find out I'm gone when the key card doesn't work. That's the thing. You keep trying, and the key card doesn't work, and your stuff is in that little box, the box of future endeavors, as we call it. You know, it's, and your picture is off the wall. All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. Uh, tune into Scafidi and Billstat. They do a really good job, and I think they're going to do. Uh, I think. I think the. I think you are going to like the work they do. They work very hard at this. All right. I want to talk about a state supreme court case that just came out today. I want. I want to explain what it is and it isn't, and then talk about the, the larger issue. Uh, today, by a five to two vote, the conservative majority. There's five conservative justices on the state supreme court and two liberals. By a five to two margin, the state Supreme Court ruled that the Madison bus system cannot ban passengers from bringing guns onto city buses. Now, let me explain what this decision was. When the concealed carry law was passed a few years back, the law contains a provision saying that it is what's called a preemption provision which says that local governments can't impose stricter regulations on when or where license holders may take their guns so that's what's called a preemption thing in other words the state law is going to govern and the city of milwaukee or the city of madison or whatever 
they can't say, all right, we don't care what the state law is on open carry. We're going to make it tougher. We're going to have stricter restrictions. The law says you can't do this. So the issue in front of the Supreme Court was whether or not the the bus company, the Madison Transit Company, was was what was it a county, a city, a village, or a town? What was it? Was it a governmental agency, or was it a, a closer to a private agency? For example, an employer has the right to say, "No, you can't bring guns onto the premises." Our there's a big sign. We we are not allowed to bring firearms onto Scripps property. You can bring it into the parking lot, but you can't bring it into the building. So you can't bring a gun into the building. The law lets you do that. So um, the question was, is the bus company more like a private entity that could set its own rules that are more restrictive than the state law, or is it more like a village, a city, a town, whatever, that can't be stricter than state law, if you follow me. And the court held, no, the, the publicly owned bus company is is more, it's not a private entity, it's not a private business, it's, it's more like a government entity. So that's, that's the basis of the decision. You know, it's based on preemption. It doesn't have anything to do in and of itself with the wisdom or the scope of the Second Amendment or anything like that. It, it's, it's a preemption issue. Is the bus company a private entity so they should be able to set stricter rules or are they closer to being like a government body? And, you know, the court said it's closer to being like a government body because that's the decision. But, but this does raise the larger question. And that's what I want to discuss with you. The, the under state law, you are concealed carry holders are allowed to bring firearms onto public transportation. Now, interestingly, the way I understand the law, and I'm willing to be corrected, but I don't think I'm wrong on this. The bus drivers, because the bus company says no guns, no gu- uh, you're and you're an employee. The bus company has the right to say to a driver, you cannot bring a gun onto, you can't bring a gun into the workplace, You and your workplace includes your bus, you cannot bring a firearm with you when you're driving the bus. And I think that that's, if it, and that's what the Madison Bus Company does, and they're allowed to do it. Now, however, the law is being interpreted to say that bus drivers can't do it, but everybody else, private citizens, as long as you've got, again, the concealed carry permit, you can bring guns onto public transportation. I want to talk about that concept, not the court decision on preemption, but let's tee this up. We've had concealed carry for a few years now. Is it a good idea to allow concealed carry holders to bring firearms onto public transportation conveyances? Is it a good idea, put it out there, to to let people carry guns on buses? What do you think? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Supreme Court says Madison can't stop them from doing this. But in general, is it a good idea, and should the law be that broad? Should public transportation, should they be able to say, we don't think it's a good idea for people to carry guns on our buses? Should the law allow that? 414-799-1620, that is the talk and text line from Acunet Mortgage. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1115, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Supreme Court says that the Madison Bus Company can't stop people from carry, concealed carry permit holders from carrying guns on Madison buses. I, I think the court decision as a matter of law is probably right. It, it's an interpretation of state statute. But I want to talk about the bigger picture. Is it a good idea? Should concealed carry holders be allowed to bring firearms on public transportation? And keep in mind that the drivers... If Matt, for example, if the Madison Bus Company says to its drivers, you can't carry guns, they're, they can tell the drivers that, and the drivers can't carry guns, but the people getting on the buses can. What do you think? Debbie in Germantown. Debbie, you're first. Good morning. Hi. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. What do you think? Um, I have a problem with if the Madison bus drivers cannot carry guns. I have a major problem with that. In fact, I think that I have a problem with anybody that bans you from carrying a gun. I think long and hard about going into any establishment that has that sign that there's no weapons because you're sitting ducks in there. Do you think, so like for example, my, my employer, our, our, our building is a gun-free zone. You can bring, if you have a firearm and you have it in your car and you park in the parking lot, it's okay. But, you know, you're not allowed to bring it into the building. You don't think employers should have the right to tell people you, you can't bring guns into your buildings? I don't think they should. The only place I think it should be um, not allowed or that you have the right to do that is in the privacy of your own home. It's concealed carry. And if, if you're, if you're going to feel safer mm-hmm. having a weapon with you, I feel that you should have the right to do that. Do you think, for example, though, okay, like, as a homeowner, let's say, Debbie, that, that you're, you're coming over to my house. Or we're we're going to okay. have dinner or whatever. And I say, Debbie... Um, look, I, I know you're a concealed carry holder. Um, for, for whatever reason, I don't want you to bring a gun into my house. I, I don't want you to bring your gun with you when you come over. Do you think I should have the right to say you can't yes. come into the house? Okay. Yeah. Right. But you wouldn't, ex- home, yes. okay. But you wouldn't extend that to employers saying you can't no. bring a gun into the workplace. No. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. The Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. And again, um, the, the law is right now that employers can, can say no, uh, but governments can't pass more restrictive type of rules. Let's talk to Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. So what do you I have think? a point and a question for you. My okay. point is, is that the concept of concealed carry is to allow me to protect myself. Yes. Inevitably, these thugs, criminals, do not follow the law, so why should I be... Right restricted on that. And then my question for you is, in those situations where your employer, for example, you, you have the rule that you cannot carry, I understand you could be termed for that, terminated for that. Right. However, in the event that you did carry and an incident came out, you brought out your weapon, legally, can you be held liable for that outside from standard concealed carry laws? Or is it just a rule versus a law? It, it, no, it would be it would be a it would be a rule. I mean, it would be a, a workplace. It would be a workplace rule. And when you say liable, do you mean if I if I if I against the rules, I bring a gun into the studio and then I pull it out and I shoot somebody with it? Could I be liable for shooting them? Could I be sued or stuff like that? Is that what you're asking? I guess even I walk into a private business that has the sign that says no weapons allowed. I I choose to carry my weapon anyway. Situation arises where I have. To pull my weapon to protect myself mm-hmm. because they have that sign out there does that put additional 
legal yes. ramifications. Yeah, yes, right. I mean, right, yes, because my, I mean, my, my, without, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving legal advice here, but yes, because if if you bring if you bring a gun into some place that you are not allowed to do to to bring, you are you are committing crime. You are violating the the law, and you could be charged. Now, I mean, this has come up before in a couple of different contexts. For example, where you have the store that says no guns, you have somebody who brings the gun into the store. All of a sudden, the store gets robbed by three bad guys, and the guy pulls out the gun, and he shoots the bad guys, and he stops the robbery. Well, as, as a practical matter, um, you know, is, is a district attorney, for example, going to charge him criminally, even though it's a technical violation of law? But, but yes, to answer your question directly, if, if you bring a gun into a place that you are not allowed to bring a gun, even if you're a concealed carry permit holder, there are legal ramifications above and beyond just the ability to be fired. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. But I, I'm intrigued by this basic concept. Do you think people should be allowed to carry guns on buses? Gus in West Dallas. Gus, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great show. Thank Listen, you. I want to get back to your analogy of the uh, bus. If you and I were riding the bus today and you were sitting directly across from me, I could take a picture of you. Correct. Correct. And not break the law. Right. All right. That tells me that we're in the public domain, and that's the whole purpose of issuing a concealed carry license right. in Wisconsin, anyways. So you can carry it in the public domain. Do you think it makes buses less safe? Do you think it makes the public less safe if a concealed carry holder carries the carries the gun in public transportation? I believe that it makes it less safe because anytime a criminal knows where you can't have a concealed carry, it exposes the occupants of that bus or building or property, assuming it's public, not private, to more so no, you were, so so, so to, to turn it around. So what you're saying is you think the buses are more safe because it might the the, the concealed carry law one way or the isn't going to deter a bad guy from bringing the gun onto the bus, but the prospect that other people might have firearms in the bus that they are legally carrying might be a deterrent. So it actually probably makes the buses safer. Is what you're arguing? That's correct. You know, good guys with guns uh, sometimes uh, yeah. turn out a little better than uh, nobody with guns. Yeah, I mean, guys, I, I got to tell, I I don't. I don't disagree with you. I, I mean, I think, I, I guess, our first caller, Debbie, I think employers, I think businesses, I, I'm, I believe in property rights. I think employers, businesses, stores, whatever, should have the right to say, we're going to be gun-free zones. I, I don't, I'm not arguing that that's smart. I'm not arguing, you know, with the merits of it. But, I mean, I'm a big believer in private property rights. And just like I think I have the right in my own home to say, I, I don't want – if I, I, please don't bring your firearm in. Debbie, sorry, love you, but I, I for whatever reason, if you're going to come over to dinner, I want you to leave your gun outside. And then Debbie can make the decision about whether she wants to come to dinner or not, not picking on you, Debbie. I, I think – I believe that employers – you know, should have the right to set business conditions for their workplace. And they could, I think an employer should have the right to say, we're, you know, you don't bring a firearm on into the building. The parking lot to me is different because if you say you, you can't bring it into the parking lot, well, that means that effectively you can't carry the gun because, you know, you're not going to be able to, to take it with you if you can't leave it in the parking lot. But I, I think employers should have the right to do it. But at the same time, I, I also don't buy the idea that by prohibiting it, you make things, you, you make things any any safer. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, on on public transportation, 
My guess is you've got gangsters and gangbangers who are carrying guns. The, the danger is not, as a general rule, going to be from the concealed carry permit holder who's got the firearm in her purse. The danger is going to be from the gangster who's, again, probably a multiple felon who doesn't care one way or the other. So I don't think from a safety perspective, I don't think that this, I don't think that this is a bad rule. And the idea that some people are just so freaked out that, oh my gosh, if you do this, it's going to be like the Wild West. No, it, it's, it's not. You know, we heard all those stories back when, you know, concealed carry first came into a being, oh, this is going to be terrible. People are going to be shooting up the streets. And, and yes, have there been over the years a handful, underscore handful of situations where concealed carry holders have, have gotten involved in shooting. But that's, that's a tiny, 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 tiny number compared to the number of shootings that are done by people who are, are just the bad guys out there with the guns. 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1130, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ on our text line. I'm, I'm getting all these questions that want me to play lawyer on, like, on the whole concealed carry thing. Like, can a landlord ban guns? That's a very complicated question. My understanding is in Wisconsin, you can put a provision in a lease that, that says that the, the tenant agrees not to have firearms. You can put a provision in the lease and that the, then the tenant, the person, the renter can decide whether or not they want to sign it or not. Absent a specific provision, I believe a tenant has the right to keep a weapon in their rental unit just the same as a homeowner has the right to keep a weapon in a single-family home. Now, that's different, though. Landlords can, though, prevent people from carrying firearms in the common areas of the building. Very complicated. Very, very, very complicated. But that's why we have lawyers, and that's why people pay the money to sort of these whole things out. It's 11.36, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers take over the airwaves again Thursday afternoon as they take on the San Diego Padres. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle have the call. Our Brewers game day coverage starts at 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon, sponsored by your local Chevy dealers. Yeah, you can tell it's uh, getting to be that time. Uh, This Friday, Hondo, who's producing the show today, and always we have a meeting right after the show for our opening day coverage. Already talking about the opening day plans. That's always one of my very favorite days of the year. Hey, I haven't mentioned this yet today. Um, we have our WT. If you go to WTMJ.com and you click on the mobile app page, you can download podcasts of a number of things, including this show. And I know a lot of people are doing that. So you can, you can't listen to the entire thing when it is going on in real time. You can time shift a little bit. So check it out. A lot of people checking out the podcast page. In addition, you're going to hear um, you hear some voices. We've got some interesting podcasts, and I know there's at least a couple more that are going to be very interesting coming as well from voices you don't typically hear or always hear on the radio, so you can check those out as well. All right. I, I told this story yesterday. I, I spent a portion of Sunday afternoon at um, at a laser tag place out in Waukesha. It was my last, last Thursday. It was my nephew Alex's 10th birthday, and he had a birthday party. Um, on Sunday, it was at this laser tag thing, and it was it was actually um, a, a very interesting three hours. I mean, it, you you go there, and it was, I oh, gosh, I forget the our whole group, all in all done, was about fifteen, and that was probably like ten kids and five 
six nine kids, six adults. I think is is kind of how it worked. If you if you want to count my brother as being one of the adults, and sometimes we kind of we could kind of go either way. But I mean, it was this interesting thing. There was you know several rounds of laser tag and one round of like this dodgeball that you played on trampolines and what could go wrong with that and all sorts of other stuff. But but the laser tag thing, this was actually the first time I did it. It was kind of cool. You know, you the way it works is you you go into this big dark room and there's two teams and you put on you put on these things that look like football shoulder pads and they've got all this electronics on it and attached to the shoulder pads you have this this plastic like laser gun and so then you go in and you you shoot at people on on the opposite team and you get points and it keeps track it's all computerized so you know you can find out at the end how how well you did and things like that and and it's a lot of fun and you know as you're walking around with these things it's clear that these are are toys, and I, I'm sure they're expensive toys. But they're you would not mistake people at a laser tag thing for armed gunmen who are about ready to commit crimes. Now, of course, when you're at the laser tag thing, you're in the controlled setting, so everybody knows these are laser tags. I, I bring this up because while it's not laser tag, one of the things that more and more people are doing is they're they're involved in things called Nerf wars, N E R F. Now, um, everybody probably knows what a Nerf gun is. I mean, these things go back, you know, years and years and years. I mean, we had Nerf balls and stuff when I was a kid. I mean, Nerf guns are these these toys. And generally speaking, they are brightly colored toys. And they come in, they come, you can get Nerf handguns, and then you can get big, like, the, the larger guns. Nerf guns shoot foam bullets. You, It is as a practical matter, it is impossible to get hurt by by playing with a, a Nerf gun. And I know um, one of my colleagues, I was having a discussion this morning, was saying that, that her kids, you know, play, oh, I kind of gave it up, it's a herb. So now people can say, okay, how many of your colleagues have children? Anyway, Colleen Boland was telling me that, <laughs> that you know, her, her kids have Nerf guns, and they shoot it. They, they play these these things, and the... The only real thing is that she has to yell at the kids to make sure they pick up the – it fires these, like, uh, again, these, like, foam bullets, pellets, whatever. And the, the big thing is, okay, after you've shot them, you've got to go pick them up and you've got to reload them. Okay, so that's that's what's been going on here. Well, there's a police department in southwest Ohio which is warning its citizens via Facebook about getting involved in Nerf wars. Now – you might say, well, come on, What's if people want to go out, whether they're kids or adults, and they want to shoot at each other with these, like, foam pellet things, what's the big deal? Well, apparently, what they're saying is that they are getting a number of calls uh, to respond to suspicious individuals who are just playing with this, these Nerf wars. But they're saying, here's the problem. They say, okay, even though... Most of the people playing the game are good people who are just having fun. What is happening is some of the people that play these games are seen wearing masks and hiding in public places. And so the cops say the problem is, even though most of them playing the game are good people who are just having fun, the average citizen or business owner is leery of people who lurk in their yards, driveways, parking lots, or streets. We have had a lot of people who have encountered and complain, it's just the big game, what, what's the big deal? When they say, well, we have encountered Nerf War participants wearing masks and hiding in parking lots, bushes, etc. to ambush their targets. While it may be fun, 
we have to make sure that participants understand that this kind of activity freaks people out, simply put. So you have, generally speaking, it's adults, maybe it's teenagers, who are going around in these public places. They, they've got the, the plastic guns. I don't think there's any real chance that they're going to be mistaken for you know real guns, but they're hiding in parking structures. They're hiding in bushes. They're hiding in public parks to jump out and shoot with the Nerf pellets some of the people they're playing against, which is fine, except if, if you're one of the people that's not playing. You pull into the parking garage or the parking lot, you get out of your car, and you see somebody with a mask behind a tree with one of these guns. All right, one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Are the police overreacting to this? Um, is this just good, harmless fun? Nobody could realistically mistake one of these brightly colored plastic Nerf things for a real gun. And it, is this just an overreaction to somebody who, who sees somebody kind of lurking around or carrying one of these things? Or do the police have a legitimate point in saying, you know, this, this, this freaks people out. And if you're you know, in a public area, you're over. I'm thinking about Esterbrook Park. You pull into the parking lot by the beer garden. You know, you're kind of walking towards the beer garden, and you see somebody with a mask, you know, hiding behind a tree with one of these things. People are going to be freaked out. Is that an overreaction, or do the cops have a legitimate point in saying, you know, you, you need to be careful where you do this because some people don't understand? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 1144. It's 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I think I think people tend to overreact to stuff as as a general rule. That that's kind of my that, that's kind of my basic premise. I think people tend to overreact to stuff and, and not know how to deal with the everyday things that go on in life. Now having said that, I, I do acknowledge that if you are at a public park, for instance, or a public parking lot or whatever. And you see some middle-aged guy wearing a mask and hanging out or hiding, you know, around a parking structure or something, whether they're carrying a a Nerf gun or not, that that's going to probably generate some sort of of questions. Matter of fact, I've got uh, one of our texts from Mike in West Bend. The fact that they were wearing a mask, I say no, it's not an overreaction. Why do they need to wear a mask? If they weren't wearing a mask, it would definitely perhaps be so. I I think, I mean, actually, I think that's sort of a, a, I think if you're going to go out and do some of this type of stuff in public, you need to be mindful of, of, of other people. And just because you have a right to do something, as I often say, doesn't necessarily mean it is the right thing to do. And honestly, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to picture if, if I'm going over to the Estabrook Park Beer Garden and I've got my, I'm taking my 10 year old nephew with me because he likes the pretzels they have there. And, and all of a sudden I see some 45 year old guy lurking behind a tree wearing a mask, whether he's carrying a, a Nerf weapon or not. That, that's something that I think is going to be odd at best, suspicious at worst. And I can understand why people would call the cops on these, these type of things if you're just doing this in these type of public settings. So do I think that they should ban Nerf Wars? No. But at the same time, 
it seems to me that if you're going to be playing this, you should use maybe a little of that, that thing that, that God gave us, that, that, that common sense, that says, okay, well, maybe maybe playing this in the, the public parking garage and running up and down stairwells in the O'Donnell Park parking garage and, and shooting these air pellets at each other um, when there's all these other people that are there that don't know what the heck we're doing, maybe maybe that would not be the wisest thing. Hey, earlier on in the show, I was critical as many of you were, uh, of Donald Trump for this whole wiretapping thing, you know, the, the tweets at 5.35 in the morning that appeared to have no real basis in fact about how Barack Obama ordered him to be wiretapped and things like that. I, I, I was critical of that. Um, but, but turnabout is, in fact, fair play. I think if you're going to make allegations that are going to be inflammatory, whether you're on the left or the right, you should be prepared to, to back them up. And there's another story in the news today that, again, it has me scratching my head. Um, remember at the Democratic National Convention, you had Kazir Khan. He was the gold star father. He was the one that was, was giving the presentation. It was very anti-Trump. And uh, he was the guy that, you know, pulled out. Uh, he, he didn't like the fact that, you know, Trump was apparently against Muslim immigration. He's the guy that, that pulled out the, the Constitution. Donald Trump, you're asking Americans to trust you with their future. Let me ask you, have you ever read the United States Constitution? And then I will gladly lend you my copy in the document. Look for the words liberty and equal protection of law. Remember, this, this was that guy, and there was a lot of controversy because then he was criticized, and then people criticized, the people who were criticizing the Gold Star Father. Um his his son was killed by a suicide bomber in Iraq in 2004. Um, the man, uh, Mr. Khan, had immigrated to the U.S. from Pakistan in 1980. He and his wife became American citizens six years later. Okay, so he, he's he's an American citizen. Okay, so why are we going through this background? Well, here, here's what the story is, and, and some people are apparently outraged. Gold Star Father Kazir Khan has canceled a scheduled speech in Toronto after being told his travel privileges are being reviewed, according to an event organizer. The story that I'm looking at says, in the Chicago Tribune, says it was not immediately clear which government agency contacted him or what was under review. Khan has lived in the United States since 1980 and is a naturalized citizen. He was scheduled to speak today at a luncheon hosted by a Toronto-based organization. The event was scheduled to include a presentation, a question and answer session about what we can do about the appalling turn of events in Washington, yada, yada, yada. In a statement posted on Facebook, Khan said he was not told why his travel status was under review. This turn of events is not just of deep concern to me, but all my fellow Americans who cherish our freedom to travel. I have not been given any reason as to why. I am grateful for your support and look forward to visiting Toronto in the near future. Okay, here is my question. Who told him this? You know, what What a fit. The guy is a citizen. I would be curious to know the details of this. Or is he just BSing? You know, who is... Is it somebody from the State Department? Is it somebody from the FBI? Because I am legitimately curious. Just like I think Donald Trump's claims that the former president of the United States ordered him to be wiretapped is a big deal if, in fact, happened. And I think Trump should be prepared to give details. My question about this is, okay, who was it? Who was it with the government 
that told you as an American citizen, a naturalized citizen, that your travel privileges were being reviewed. Reviewed by who? Because if that is in fact the case, that because this guy was engaging in some sort of you know political dissent, that, that he really, as a U.S. citizen, naturalized or otherwise, as a naturalized U.S. citizen, he might be in danger of losing his travel privileges because of his political dissent, that is a huge story. But at the same time, I do not think this is something that you throw around unless you're able to put up. Show me. What was this? Who was this official? Where did you hear this? Is this something that you have made up? Is this something that you were told through a third party or whatever? Because I want to know. I mean, I if you've got the Trump administration, and I say if you've got the Trump administration seriously threatening to revoke people's travel privileges, well, I want to know about it. I, I, I do. I'm just... A little skeptical that that, in fact, happened. It's 1154. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, we'll find out what Scafidi and Billstat have on their minds. Stick around. It's 1157. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. We're reaching that point in time where I do not have to go home, but I can't stay here because Scafidi and Billstat. Billstat and Scafidi, the boys, gentlemen, in the studio. Hello. Hey, Hey, Jeff. Lots going on today. WikiLeaks uh, just dumped a bunch of data about how the CIA does their work, and uh, I think a lot of taxpayers and uh, citizens are going to be are going to be interested in how that all plays out. Smartphones are no longer data safe; they can get the information that they wanted. Eric, the CIA can do whatever it wants, whenever it wants, according to all this documentation. And we haven't even gone through all of it yet. You're just starting to see the surface of it, Jeff. Hmm. Nothing safe. Nothing safe anymore. We're going to talk about UWM. Great story. Oh yeah. They are. They have a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Four and fourteen in their conference. Twenty-one losses. I mean, taking nothing away from the last few games, it's been a rebuilding year. I mean, yeah. the program was yeah. decimated. All the issues with the coach and stuff. Yeah, the coach was optimistic even in the midst of not winning a game in February. Although they had a lot of close games, so you got to give them credit. This is a this is a heck of a run. Let's hope it plays through tonight. And Lavelle will join us at one oh seven today. Yes, so. it's a new. Yeah, it's, I mean that. It, it is just an absolutely great feel-good story, and I don't. I don't think we're telling tales out of school. Our, our your producer Scott Warris is the mm-hmm. voice of UWM yes, yes. men's basketball this year. And what I'm curious about is whether or not Scott packed enough clothes because he didn't think he'd be there through the weekend, let alone all the way to Tuesday night. He's almost there a week if they win tonight. So, <laughs> but uh, I don't think he's probably either washing his stuff or the people are giving him some space. Well, I thought he wore the same thing pretty much every day, anyways. Was <laughs> just I'm just saying. Okay, on that note, Scafidi and Bill Stat is coming up. I will be back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Have a great Tuesday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.